Well, if you have your Bible with you there tonight, we're in the book of Micah. <clears throat> Micah in the Old Testament. Uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, you've got that section that is often referred to as the Minor Prophets. And Micah is round about the middle of that cluster of 12 books. So it's Micah chapter 7, and we're reading from the very first verse. The prophecy of Micah, and it's the seventh chapter, and we're just going to read the first seven verses together, please. Micah chapter 7, and verse number 1. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits As the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchmen and thy visitation cometh, Now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. God will bless the reading of his precious word to every heart for his own sake and for his own glory. For most of this year, I think, I just can't remember when we started this series regarding principles for approaching the throne of God in prayer, approaching God's throne. And we've been looking at various aspects of the mentality and state of heart that we ought to have as we come before the throne of grace. And tonight we're thinking about a very important subject. And I have to confess that as I have thought about this subject tonight, it's a very simple subject, but the Lord certainly has challenged and rebuked this heart of mine because I want to speak for a little while this evening upon the subject of patience, especially with regards to prayer. Patience in prayer. And we're using tonight Micah chapter 7 and verse 7 as our text. Listen to what the prophet of God says. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My 
God will hear me. I will wait for the God of my salvation. And surely that little phrase, as it is referenced to prayer, I will look unto the Lord, my God will hear me, certainly speaking of prayer, but the phrase in the middle, I will wait, reminds us of the necessity of patience. One thrilling study, if you're interested in really studying the Word of God, is to dig into the minor prophets and to consider the context in which these prophecies were written, the days in which these prophets lived, and the messages that these prophets declared. They're called minor prophets simply because their prophecies are shorter than the prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, but their messages are certainly none less important. Major messages from the minor prophets. And sadly, these last books, these last 12 books of the Old Testament are greatly neglected. But in each and every one of them, there's a very relevant message for this day and generation. And not only that, but there are certain texts within the minor prophets that are so encouraging and so challenging, and they're full of gospel truth as well. Now, Micah was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. They ministered together. He was a prophet to the nation of Judah just before their captivity in Babylon. And his name simply means, who is like Jehovah? And so his name corresponds with Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, where the Word of God and the text says, Who is a God like unto thee? And that, that question really just summarizes Micah's very name, who is like the Lord, or who is like unto Jehovah, or who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. So the very name Micah is a name that is well worthy of our study and consideration, because who is a God like unto our God? Who is a pardoning God like thee? Our God tonight is incomparable. There's no one like our God. There's no one tonight like our Savior. Sid Lou Baxter has a wonderful book entitled Explore the Book, and really it's a Bible survey. And it's a great introduction to every book in the Bible, and it just gives a, a simple overview of the, what the book is about. And Sidlow Baxter summarizes the prophecy of Micah under three headings. Chapters 1 to 3, imminent judgment declared. Chapters 4 and 5, ultimate blessing promised. Chapters 6 and 7, present <laughs> repentance Pleaded. And the book of Micah is a book with many predictive messages. For example, in the very first chapter, Micah chapter 1 and verse number 6, it predicts the fall of Samaria. Therefore, I will make Samaria as an heap of the field. Chapter 3 and verse number 12, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps. It predicts the fall of Samaria, the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 10 uh, predicts the uh, Babylonian captivity. Chapter 5 and verse number 2 foretells the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, the very town that he'll be born in, Bethlehem. And so it goes on. 
And these messages we've been thinking about in prayer in recent months are very simple and topical messages, principles regarding prayer. And so we're looking tonight very simply and loosely, we might say as well, at Micah chapter 7 and verse number 7, not rigidly expounding the text as such, but exploring the subject matter in the text, which primarily is with regards to patience in prayer. Very difficult for these prophets, especially prophets like Micah who ministered to Israel or Judah before their captivity and warned them of the consequences of their sin. And we're thinking about 70 years of captivity and then promises that God gave them would take many years and generations for God to fulfill. And so as Micah gives himself to prayer and in his day and generation, by and large, his ministry and his messages are being rejected and he's praying about this, it took a lot of patience in the heart of Micah to lay hold upon the Lord, especially whenever you consider the context that this verse finds itself in. Verse number five says, Trust ye not in a friend, put not confidence in a guide, keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in the bosom. And then it speaks about the son dishonoring the father, the daughter, the mother, the daughter-in-law, the mother-in-law. A man's enemy shall be there of his own house. And Micah is living in a day whenever morality is at an all-time low and the tide has gone out. And it's very difficult to find anyone, anywhere that you can really trust. But Micah knows that ultimately he can trust God because he can trust very few others, he says, therefore. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, for my God will hear me. So we think about this simple subject tonight, patience and prayer, and I'm speaking to myself primarily. Let's consider, first of all, in this text, an exhortation to patience and prayer. Micah is exhorting himself to be patient. Therefore, I will Look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. It's like he's speaking to himself. Now, Micah, you need to be patient and you need to look to the Lord. And he's exhorting himself. He's speaking to himself. And so often you'll read the psalmist David doing exactly the same, preaching a sermon in a sense to himself by way of exhortation. Hope thou in God. Trust in the Lord. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. And he's exhorting himself, telling himself to trust in the Lord. And I believe here Micah is doing something similar. And many, many times the scriptures exhort us to be patient. In a general sense, we're called as believers to be a patient people. Psalm 37, verse 7, rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way. Verse 34 of that same chapter. Wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Psalm 62 and verse number 5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. And the prophet Isaiah spoke a lot, didn't he, about waiting upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. 
Vance Havner was a tremendous evangelist and revivalist, and he said, he who waits on God loses no time. He who waits on God loses no time. We often have this mentality that if I spend prolonged periods before God's throne, I'm wasting time that can be invested in other places. But it's often said, and it's so true, that time spent in prayer is time well spent. Time spent in prayer is an investment, and the man or the woman who waits on God loses no time. But waiting takes a lot of patience. And we are living in a day and in a generation and in a society where nobody really wants to wait for anything at all. We're living in a day whenever you can have whatever you want now, buy now, pay later. You can rent things, you can get them in hire purchase, you can take out bank loans, and we're living in a day where people don't really want to wait for anything, even sitting at the traffic lights. I'm sure if you're like me, you seem to think that they're green for a split second and then they're red for five or ten minutes. And it's very easy to be impatient with other drivers. And I'm sure other drivers are impatient with me as well. Even food nowadays, people don't like to wait for food and everything's very instant. Pot noodles and fast food. And I don't know if you remember Smash. I was down in Home Bargains there a few weeks ago and saw this stuff sitting in the shelf called Smash. And I'd heard about it uh, from school days, and I thought I'll try some of this. It's instant mashed potatoes, and it's just like powder, and you just put boiling water in it, and within literally seconds, you've got fluffy mashed potatoes. It's not actually too bad, but it's probably not all that nutritious, but it's incredible just how quickly you can have mashed potatoes. Boil the kettle, pour it into the smash, and instantly you've got fluffy mashed potatoes. And the consequences are of this digital, have it now, buy now, get it now generation is we have become very impatient. If something takes time to wait for it, we just give up almost immediately. And that's something somebody was saying about social media. Uh, people can't sit for any length of time and watch something that lasts for any length of time. And they have to have the the, the sound bites and the images and the excitement straight away. And if somebody talks for a few moments, they just scroll up to the next video or the next advertisement, whatever it may be. And it seems that the more secular our society becomes, the more impatient it becomes. John Calvin was a man right up to date as far as his theology and thinking was concerned in many levels. And he, he made this lovely statement, and I, I have to agree with it wholeheartedly. John Calvin said, ignorance of the providence of God is the cause of all impatience. Now think about that statement. I believe it to be true. Ignorance of the providence of God is the cause of all impatience. And whenever we bring that into the realm of prayer, maybe that is one of the reasons why we become impatient, sometimes even with God, and I'm guilty of it myself, whenever we pray and we pray and we don't get the answer quickly, we become very impatient, and maybe it's ignorance of the providence and the sovereignty of our God. The Word of God makes many, many appeals for God's people and for mankind in general to be patient. This uh, servant of God, Solomon, said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 8, better 
is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And then the epistle of James has a lot to say about the subject of patience as well. James 1, 4, let patience have her perfect work. James 5, verse number 7, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Be ye patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And so often, I'm guilty of this and I must apologize, we preach about urgency and we preach about activity and we preach about being busy and there's a place for those things. But I must apologize that so often I exhort people to be busy and I'm busy myself, but sometimes we lack the, the foresight to preach about patience and encourage God's people to be still and to be patient and to wait. Mushrooms grow very quickly. Our clerk of session up in Coleraine, I don't know what sort of lawn he had at the front, but every autumn around about this time he would send me a photograph of about six or seven huge mushrooms that were growing in his garden. And they were like dustbin lids, literally they were this sort of size. And he says they appear almost overnight. And we've had a lot of mushrooms and toadstools and things in our garden. I'm very careful about them. I wouldn't uh, dare eat them because you can get mushrooms that are bad for you and others as well. But it's amazing just how quickly they grew up. But they're very easily cut down. You don't have to wait long for mushrooms to grow, but they're very fragile and they're very easily broken. But oak trees take years, decades to grow strong. We planted an acorn shortly after coming to Lisburn. The first autumn we were here, whenever the acorns appeared in the tree, and I said to Joshua, we'll plant this acorn, we'll put it in a, t in a pot, and then soon we will have an oak tree. So he was all excited, and I put the acorn in the, you know where we're going here, don't you? Put the acorn in the soil in the bucket, and he got up early the next morning to see the tree, but it wasn't there. He says, Daddy, there's no tree, and this went on for weeks, and I said, son, we have to wait. And then the next year, there's a little shoot just coming up, and now we've got an oak tree, and it's about seven or eight feet tall around the side of the house. But oak trees are built to last. And I read somewhere recently that there's more of the oak tree under the ground than there is above it because the roots go down very, very deep. And sometimes whenever we're waiting for things to grow, we have to be patient. So there's an exhortation to patience in prayer. And then in our text as well, there's also the exercise of patience in prayer. I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. Look and wait are both verbs. They're doing words. So Micah here is exercising himself with regards to patience. Prayer must be engaged in. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. So he's being active, he's engaging in prayer, but he's also exercising patience as well. We have heard a lot about prayer, but it's important to engage in prayer. I remember listening to an evangelist in America, Harold Vaughan. He was over here in the province a number of years ago, and he asked a question once to the congregation. He says, would you rather be known to be a man of prayer 
or actually be a man of prayer? Would you rather be known to be filled with the Spirit of God or actually be filled with the Spirit of God? There's a world of difference between knowing and having a reputation and actually being and actually doing. And here Micah is speaking explicitly about the exercise of prayer, getting down to prayer, but getting down to being patient in prayer as well. And we must also pray with patience and perseverance. Prayer and patience are so often linked very, very closely in the Word of God. In First Timothy, let me just find the reference. First Timothy chapter 5, Paul is writing to Timothy about the woman within the local assembly. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 5, he says, Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. She continues in prayer, trusting in God, and she continues in prayer night and day. And I just wonder, did the Apostle Paul have in his mind Anna the prophetess that we read about in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, a certain widow aged 84 years, departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And if you think about the generation that Anna lived in, coming just to the end now of 400 silent years, attending the temple, the house of God, and many of the priests and scribes in the temples and in with Judaism that day, they were apostate, they rejected the Messiah whenever he came. But she was living in dark days where there was no open vision, no fresh revelation. But she was still praying and still seeking the face of God all of her life, perhaps holding on to that promise in Malachi that the Lord that ye seek shall come suddenly to his temple. She's proving the truth of Galatians 6 and 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Many people in Scripture were noted for their impatience. Even Moses, the friend of God, whenever he broke the tables of stone and also whenever he smoked the, the rock the second time with his rod out of anger was showing an impatient spirit. Naaman, whenever he was told to dip seven times in the Jordan and turned around and headed back for Syria, was showing an impatient spirit because he felt he could be delivered immediately by the prophet Elisha. Jonah was impatient with God and impatient with Nineveh. James and John were impatient with the Samaritans in that little village whenever they wouldn't allow them to pass through and they prayed that God would send fire from heaven and consume them. Martha was impatient with her sister Mary and became so frustrated in herself and was cumbered about much serving. And a couple of Lord's Day mornings ago, we thought about Abram and Sarah becoming impatient with God and taking matters into their own hands and trying to manipulate the will of God rather than patiently waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Impatience and the will of God do not really mix all that well together. But God's timing is, is always perfect. Galatians 4, 4, In the fullness of times God sent forth His Son, born of a woman made under the law, 
to redeem them that were under the law in the fullness of times, right at the very precise moment, at the very right time God sent forth His Son, at God's appointed time. And God's appointed time is always the right time. And you always need to remind yourselves of this fact that God is never, never in a hurry. God is not bound by time or space. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And God isn't tied to our time scales and programs and calendars. Whenever the Savior heard about the death of Lazarus. He didn't come to the tomb until after Lazarus had been laid in the tomb for four days and Mary and Martha had the idea and they said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, our brother had not died and now it's four days since we buried him and at this time he stinketh. And they just had the idea that, Lord, you're too late. And I suppose if we're honest, We've maybe looked at John chapter 11 there and we wonder, well, why did the Lord come at such a late hour? Why didn't he come immediately whenever he heard that Lazarus was ill or whenever Lazarus passed away? Why wasn't the Lord there immediately? Why did he wait four days? I believe it was to teach a very valuable lesson that we have need of patience. And God is not limited and God is not bound by time or circumstances. And God is... Never in a hurry. And perhaps God as well in this day and generation that we are living in has been making us wait. You've maybe been praying for many, many years for certain things to happen in your home or in your family or in your Sunday school class or in the town or in the church or in the denomination or in the land or in the evangelical church. And maybe your patience is being tried and your patience is being tested. Years ago, I read a story about a young lad that went to his pastor and said, Pastor, I'm so impatient. I want you to pray for me that I will become a more patient person. And the pastor says, well, if that's your request, I will pray to that end that you will have much tribulation. And all of a sudden, the young man began to panic and says, no, pastor, you've got it wrong. I'm not asking that I have trial and trouble and tribulation. You maybe misheard me. I'm praying that I will be more patient. Pray that God will help me to be a more patient person. Again, the pastor says, I will pray that you will have tribulation. And he opened his Bible and took him to Romans chapter 5, where the Word of God says there in verse number 3, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. It's amazing to think about that process. Tribulation at one end, hope at the other end of the spectrum. And you would never really think that tribulation in the life of a Christian would cause them to be filled with hope, but that's what the Word of God says. And yet between tribulation and hope, there's patience and there's experience. Then there's many examples of patience whenever it comes to prayer. We've got one here in our text. Micah is an example of a man who is exercising patience in prayer. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Great men of prayer and great women of prayer in the Bible were also great men of patience. Maybe not initially whenever we begin to read about them and their experience, but over maybe a long period of time as they went through trial and tribulation and their faith was resisted and stretched 
and shaken at times, they ultimately became very faithful and very prayerful and very patient individuals. We think of Abraham. Genesis 16, he doesn't seem like a very patient man at all, but we read in Hebrews chapter 6, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And what about Job? James 5.11 says, And ye have heard of the patience of Job. And that little phrase has found its way into modern-day idioms in this nation of ours. We sometimes hear people that aren't even familiar with the Bible about maybe that individual's got the patience of Job. And Job certainly experienced tribulation. But in his life, tribulation worked patience. And in Job chapter 42 and verse 10, it says, The Lord turned again the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Patience and prayer go together. David said in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. And at length to me inclined, and he heard my prayer and lifted me out of an horrible pit. The answer came, but he had to be patient first. The church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 1.4 was a, a church that Paul noted and also, he says, gloried in because of their patience and faith. John in the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 9 speaks about the kingdom and patience of Christ. And John in his exile there became a very patient man. Revelation 2 and 2 speaks about the church at Ephesus, and the Lord says that church, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. And thou canst not bear them that are evil. Revelation 14, 12 speaks about the time of great tribulation, and it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ Head and shoulders above everybody else was by nature a very patient man because he was everything that God is. And the Bible says that our God is long-suffering. The Savior said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And if you want to see an example of a man who was patient and long-suffering, the Savior was certainly patient and long-suffering. And so it is with his prayer life that goes on continually. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And has the Lord not been patient with us? Has the Lord not been patient with you? Certainly, the Lord has been patient with me. But this flesh, this carnal hearts that we often have, these carnal hearts, the flesh does not want to take time. But God does. And patience is to have her perfect work. I'm sure in all of our lives, whenever we think about prayer and think about maybe answers to prayer, Sometimes we have had to be very patient. Whenever I started attending this church 24 years ago, like this month almost, Jimmy Quigley's name was mentioned in virtually every prayer meeting. And I'm sure many, many years even before that, and others as well, that the Lord has graciously saved. But he didn't save them the first time they were prayed for. But by and by the Lord saved. And you might be praying for a loved one, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a grandchild. And you've been praying and praying and praying very, very patiently. Let patience have for a perfect work. 
Habakkuk 2.3, and it's a different context, says, The vision is yet for an appointed time. Do it tarry, wait for it, for it shall surely come and will not tarry. George Muller, if you ever read any of his uh, biography, it's a remarkable account of explicit and oftentimes immediate answers to prayer, praying for bread, praying for milk, praying for finance, and sometimes within, within minutes the answer came praying for milk for the orphanage. And as he was praying, a knock came to the door and opened the door and there are several churns of fresh milk and answers often came immediately. But if you ever read his testimony or listen to his testimony, before his conversion, he was a very riotous, prodigal young man. And one young man that he ran about with did not follow in Muller's footsteps whenever Muller got converted, but his heart was always burdened for him for his entire life. And it wasn't until after George Muller died that that man came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I often wonder, whenever we get to glory, will we discover that many of our prayers were not even answered in our lifetime? And the prayers of saints that have gone before, their prayers were not answered in their lifetime and we enter into their labors and into their prayers. And the word of God says that below the altar in glory, God stores the prayers of his people. I was visiting my aunt one night after the mission in Carrie Duff. And she just lives between Carrie Duff and, or sorry, the uh, temple in St. Field, a little uh, place called Craigie. And I was just visiting her one night and we were talking and there used to be a, an old mission hall at the temple. I'm not sure if any of you remember it. If you come across the temple crossroads and you head towards St. Field, there's some new houses there. But just into the right, there was an old uh, wooden mission hall. I think it was there until about 1990 or 91. And my aunt used to have children's five-day clubs in it. And then there was a midweek prayer meeting and then there was a Sunday night a gospel meeting, and she talked about this old saint of God who came from, from Belfast, Berry Street Presbyterian Church that figured heavily in the 1859 revival. And this old man came from that church, and he maybe wasn't alive during the revival, but he knew many older saints whenever he was a young man that were saved and converted in the revival. And he started prayer meetings in, in that little hall. And my aunt said, you know, those prayer meetings were remarkable. And this wee man came, and he was in fire for God. He'd relate stories of what happened in the revival. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if if men like that that have gone to glory, if we realized in our day and generation answers to their prayers. We conducted a gospel mission one time in the Christian Workers Union Hall in Coleraine. And one of the men from a, the congregational church was a great help to us in getting that hall and he helped us with outreach and went around the doors and came to the prayer meetings and he was a real man of God and He's talked about his father who has gone to be with the Savior, and he said in 1959, they had prayer meetings in this hall as a centenary of the 1859 revival. And many of those old men in that old faith mission prayer union that prayed in 1959, it was about 65 years previous to this mission that we had, or 60 years anyway, and he said, you know, they really believed that they were so close to seeing God move and revival blessing again. But he was confident that prayers never die. Leonard Ravenhill used to say that prayers never die. 
And men have prayed before, and they prayed with patience, and they maybe weren't, were they maybe like some of the patriarchs, they didn't see the fulfillment of the promises in their day, but they saw them afar off, and they knew that by and by those promises would be fulfilled. And many men and women of God in bygone days have prayed for this nation of ours and prayed for this land of ours. And I'm sure many have prayed for the city that we now live in and prayed for a day whenever God would send an awakening and God would move. And we trust that we will really enter into their prayers in a wonderful way. John Blanchard said, waiting for an answer to prayer is often part of the answer. Waiting for an answer to prayer is often part of the answer. One last thought, and we're finished. You've listened so well tonight. We thank you for that. We've thought briefly about, maybe not briefly, but we've thought anyway about an exhortation to patience and prayer, the exercise of patience and prayer, some examples of patience and prayer. Notice in closing the expectation of patience and prayer. Therefore, will I look unto the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. Then the last little phrase in the text, Micah says, my God will hear me. My God will hear me. And that came tonight, just as I was looking over this again, message almost prepared, and looking over it just this evening, my God will hear me. What a rebuke it was to my heart do I really expect God to answer prayer? Micah has absolutely no doubts at all as to his prayers being answered. Now, he does not dictate to God how and when and where the answer will come, but he knows that God will hear. And I believe here in this little phrase, he speaks about intimacy with God. He doesn't say, God will hear. Well, he does say that, but he says more. He says, my, my God will hear. And just before that, he speaks about the God of my salvation. The God of my salvation is my God, the one who chose me from before the foundation of the world, the one who called me, the one who saved me, the one who loves me, the one who keeps me, the one who leads me and guides me and provides for me, the one that I belong to, the one who redeemed me and adopted me into his family, all because of sovereign grace, and the one who has made himself responsible for me. He is God and he is my God. He's God, yes, he's almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-everywhere-present, all-wise, and he's my God, and he's the God of my salvation. Therefore, he specializes in deliverance. My God, I am his, and he is mine. My God will hear me. Intimacy with God in prayer, honesty and openness, that he can address God as my God. You know, we can come into the presence of God and begin our prayers with the words, dear Lord or dear God, and there's nothing wrong with that. What about coming before the Lord and saying, my God, my Father? Make it so intimate and so personal, intimacy with God. And then he also believes in the integrity of God. My God will hear me. Prayer heard and prayer answered 
are not two different or separate or distinct things. In the economy of God, prayer heard and prayer answered are one and the same thing. Sometimes we talk about the God who hears and who answers prayer. And that's true, but in making that statement, sometimes you have the mentality that God hears prayer and God may or may not answer prayer. But in God's economy, hearing and answering are exactly the same thing. Prayer heard is as good as prayer answered, and God is covenanted to answer the prayers of His people. But the challenge tonight is, do we really believe it? Can we say tonight, as we pray, with patience, waiting upon God, can we leave the prayer meeting and say, now I know that God has heard me. And as we set ourselves to pray, are we confident tonight that God will hear us because He promises to? And we need to believe it. If you write a letter to somebody you love, you by and large expect that they will reply unless something happens that makes that impossible for them. But if we speak to God in prayer, is it not right for us and proper for us to put our trust in the integrity of God, that the God who invites us and calls us to prayer and promises to answer prayer, that we should expect an answer from Him? One old Puritan said, patient waiting is often the highest way of doing God's will. Some of you know tonight that I like dogs and like reading about dogs, and sometimes I like reading little children's books about dogs as well, ones that I didn't get through when I was a little boy. Sometimes I go on to Amazon and get these old books, Old Yeller and uh, Sounder and different ones, and I was reading a story about a, a dog, a Japanese Akita dog, born in 1923, and the name of the dog was Hachiko. It was a big Japanese Akita and a few months after it was born, it was procured by a professor in one of the great universities in Tokyo. And this dog became very faithful to Pre Professor Ueno, his name was. And every day for one year, Professor Ueno would go down to a train station and go to his university and lecture. And every night, whenever he came back, Hachiko, his Akita dog, was sitting outside the train station waiting for the master to return. For almost 365 days, rain, hail, sun, or snow, didn't matter what the weather was, there's Hachiko sitting waiting for the professor to return. One year later, in 1925, that professor died of a cerebral hemorrhage while at work. And Hachiko, his dog, lived from 1925 to 1935 without a master. But every single night, at the same time that dog would return to Shibuya train station, patiently awaiting his master's return. Didn't know that his master had died but in his own little way was confident that my master will come back to me. Now, there's a lot of application there in the Christian life. We need to be waiting for our master to return. But beloved, tonight our master not only died for us, but rose again and is alive forevermore. And we serve a master tonight that's very much alive. And as we wait on him in prayer, 
I believe we can expect him to come to us and meet our hearts. Good things come to those who wait. And I just finished with one old quote by Bishop J.C. Ryle. He says, all the servants of Christ must be content to wait for their wages. All true servants of Christ must be content to wait for their wages. Be patient, for your work shall be rewarded. Thank you, friends, so much for listening uh, so well this evening.